When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care have just published a new book and it's called Positively Palliative. And the book is a collection of personal reflections of loss and love. And one of the stories in the book is of Marion O'Mahony, a Cork mother, and it tells the story of the loss of her beautiful son, Brian, who was just 19 when he passed away from cancer in 2001. And I'm delighted to say Marion joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning and thank you very much for bringing me on the show and for speaking about our book from the Institute. Thank you. Well, it's just, it's 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 a beautiful, beautiful uh, book and I, I cried a lot, I have to say, uh, while reading it. And and your story in particular, Marion, is just so honest and so heartbreaking. So I suppose start by talking to me about Brian and the type of young lad he was and the young man he was growing up to be. I suppose Brian was a typical teenager. Um, He was uh, more out of the house than in. He loved his mates. He was always out. Like teenagers, he wanted, uh, he called us when he wanted money and he called us when he wanted a lift. (laughs) And he was always busy, busy. Uh, He loved to do a bit of um, DJing and at the time with the decks with his other friends making music and just loved life. He was six foot tall. He loved soccer. He loved football. He was perfectly healthy. Uh, as far as we were concerned, when all of a sudden he got some kind of severe pains and a couple of weeks later he was in hospital and diagnosed with leukaemia. And that's and then that yeah, I think is the real heartbreaking Yeah, the real heartbreaking part of the story is he became sick very suddenly and very quickly after that a terminal diagnosis. Was yes, given. a couple of weeks afterwards, um, the doctor approached me to say that, uh, you know, like we were told originally, there was at least about a 90% success rate with this particular medication and all that. So I kind of honestly dismissed the notion that he died because I kind of said, oh, if somebody dies now, it'll be an old person or a person with another illness or something like that. Brian is healthy, he'll be the 80%. I sort of dismissed it in the way that you dismiss dying in a car accident or something you know it could happen but it won't be me like so uh, then unfortunately I brought him back on a Monday after being home for the weekend and the doctor called me and said treatment isn't working he's making no response he has maybe a week week and a half two weeks to live it was really difficult to take this on board you know I remember coming back to a doctor even after that and saying you know like what are his chances like you know 40 percent 30 percent 
And the doctor said to me, less than 1%. So that was difficult to take on board. It was. And throughout his his illness, uh, Marion, he suffered incredible pain. And, uh, and you write about the fact that he, he never complained. No, he, he just took it in his stride, which was absolutely amazing. You know, he... Like this is where the actual hospice came in, in the sense that the hospital suggested to us that uh, we call in Marymount Hospice, uh, that they were good on pain relief. And to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't know anything about hospices or what they do. Uh, but obviously, uh, pain relief was something we were interested in. But of course, um, I didn't realise the great advantage it would be because having um, hospice care is. I realised it's got nothing to do with dying. It's got everything to do with living, you know, uh, living in your best life, regardless of the conditions that you're faced with. And that was a real blessing to us because they helped us with the medication. For example, we had the best medication that we could for about eight o'clock at night so he could meet his buddies. If his buddies called, that he'd be well. That sort of thing. So yeah. their real concern, uh, like the... The difference with the hospice care and the care in the hospital is that in the hospital, say if you go in with a tumour, your consultant is totally focused on the notion of uh, shrinking that tumour, getting rid of that tumour. And like if you had to go on, say, two different buses, uh, 200 kilometres to get to the hospital and you lost all your hair and you were violently sick for a week after the treatment, that doesn't concern the consultant too much because his focus is on watching that tumour and if the tumour dies, he's happy with that. The hospice focus then, you see, is totally different because there you can still get your treatments, you can still get whatever treatment you're on, but their focus is like to consider whether this is the, you know, you might like a lighter treatment, a different treatment. Their focus is on your quality of life and on the quality of life of your family as well. So Mm. they're looking after you kind of spiritually and emotionally and socially as well. They're not just focusing on your illness, they're focusing on you as a person. So that's the difference really between the hospital and the hospice. And then focusing on him as a person meant he got these medications that could help him to get up and about. Yeah, and, and, and lead as normal as life as a teenager would want to be, as you say, surrounded by his friends. But Marion, I suppose as a mother, we want to protect uh, our children. Was that the hardest part, watching him in so much pain? It was, absolutely. And that was the reason really that I wanted to write about it because I think everybody focuses on, oh, it's a terrible thing to lose a child, which obviously it is. But it's actually a terrible thing also to watch anybody in pain, anyone at all, never mind your own child, and not be able to fix it, you know, and not be able to reverse it and to have to take God's will into account and just let life take its own course. You just want to put your hand out, you want to save them, you want to protect them. And that just wasn't something I could do. And I think it's very traumatic watching anybody that's very ill. And you and did. This is where again you get support, you know. Yeah, and you did. You did very much shield Brian in that he never knew he was dying. No, at the time when we were told he'd live a week, a week and a half, there didn't seem to be any real reason to tell him. Like he didn't have to make a will, or he didn't have children to consider, or any of the things that you know would cause an adult to need to know that they're they were moving along. 
when Brian uh, was ill, there wasn't any reason for him to suppose that, uh, especially it was really before the internet was a big thing, so he wouldn't be looking up the internet. There wasn't any reason for him to suppose he was going to die of this. And there didn't seem to be any point in telling him when he had a week or a week and a half to live. But in the end of the day, he lived 12 weeks, um, which obviously was a great bonus to us that he had got the extra weeks and perhaps he might have done. Yeah. yeah. And and his friends um, were an amazing support to him. Oh, oh I, I keep saying always, and it's over 20 years now since this happened, I do wish our young lads were so more appreciated because I think young lads are absolutely brilliant. You know, gangs of them were coming and they were just um, on the phone to him all the time and calling whenever he was well enough to have visitors and fretting about him if he wasn't well enough to have visitors. And going back to even his birthday, he was very weak before his birthday. And I said to the hospice nurse when she called, like, is there anything you can give him to get up out of the bed for an hour on his birthday so he can meet his friends? And they put him back on steroids and he was up and about on his birthday. Yeah. And able to meet his friends. And they all came back to the house till about three in the morning with them. Like, they were fantastic. And they were doing their leaving cert at the time. So it was difficult for them to do that, you know, yeah. with studying and exams and everything. It, they were absolutely amazing. And I always say young lads are so underappreciated. And it was, as I was reading your story, yeah, they do, do they still continue to give you a hamper at Christmas? They do. They call it Christmas with a hamper. And if ever I bump into them, you know, it's it's just such a lovely experience. It brings me, you know, it brings me back to the fun times of all the young lads in the house coming in and out and enjoying life. And as I say, the exceptional young men that they were and the care they took of Brian when he got sick, when he was in the hospital now and he had to go in a wheelchair for the first time. Obviously, all this was very sudden to him. They started ro- uh, racing him up and down the corridor, <laughs> sort of like making fun of it so that he was, you know, not so embarrassed to be suddenly yeah. in a wheelchair when it wasn't something he was accustomed to be to having to uh, take for his mode of transport. Yeah. Yeah. And as I say, it's it's a heartbreaking uh, read. And then, you know, there's that whole and, and, and I knew reading it because I realised as I was reading the story that I knew the story because I had um, previously spoken to you about your book back in 2016 that you wrote, um, the, uh, Goodbye My Son. And so I, so I knew the story and how the story was going to unfold. Uh, but as I was reading it, Marion, going through my mind was, how do you say goodbye um, to a child? But it was almost, was there almost relief because he was out of that dreadful, excruciating pain? Yes, absolutely. I think there was a sense of peace. We had a sense of peace for, for a number of reasons. He was out of pain for one reason. And the other reason was, I suppose, the performance we were all putting up, uh, pretending nothing was wrong, talking about football matches and who was going to score the next goal and all these kind of conversations that would have been normal in the house the big performance we were all putting on with a smile on our face. And that is one of the most complicated things to do when somebody is very ill, is to keep this big smile on your face and try and be light-hearted. It's very difficult to do when obviously you're feeling a lot of different emotions at the time. But he was, as I say, easy to mind. He didn't complain about his illness. And he was grateful for like a toasted sandwich or anything like that. He was saying that was delicious. He loved his grub. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember Lil, my friend, baking him a 
chocolate cake and he absolutely loved it. Of course, with the steroids, he almost inhaled it, but it, he loved his grub and he was great. He was delighted when he got some kind of extra treats. We'd lo- bought loads of Mars bars and things, of course, and he was delighted with himself. So, um, you know, we tried to make light of everything and make his life as easy as we could at the time. Well, I think, I think and we were grateful that that he went happily. He never realised he was dying. So there were a lot of things to be grateful for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and um, I have a, a really good friend of mine at the moment who lost um, her little boy to cancer just a, a few months ago. So I have a kind of a sense of, of the pain that, um, that, you, that you've gone through. I mean, those that lose a child, Marion, you join a club that nobody wants uh, to be in. So, so yeah. you know, 20 years on, I mean, how are you doing? Do you just learn to live with that grief? Well, I think losing some anybody you're really close to, and I, I often say there's no competition whether it happens to be your parents, your cat, your child. If you lose, lose somebody that's, you know, very important in your life, you know, you're going to be really quite lost and it's going to be very difficult and painful. And there's a tiredness, which is a thing I didn't expect with it, you know, because I think you're kind of carrying around a weight and it's very exhausting, which was something I didn't expect at all. Uh, the kind of exhaustion that went with grieving, which was an extra thing to carry. And I think over time, I suppose what I was, what I've learned is that what you're aiming for in grieving is to be able to think of this person with love rather than with pain. And I think over time that comes that you can think of this person with love and be grateful for them. Whereas in the immediate aftermath, the pain is still there of, you know, what they suffered and what was so traumatic about watching them sick. That that I think is is something you carry. And also the shock of seeing someone die and the shock of being in life without them. Life seems to have this big gap, this gaping hole that it takes a while to get used to. But after a while, you can find that you can get used, you know, you you carry that load and that's what makes you tired, I think, Mm -hmm. and exhausted. But uh, that is why I, partly why I wrote the story to talk about the the sort of the trauma and the shock of it, as well as the loss, because I think loss is something that perhaps is easier to talk about and easier to understand. Well, it's it's an incredible story. And and actually, your your original book about uh, Goodbye My Son, that's still available, isn't it? It is available is it, online. Uh, anyone can uh, buy it online or they can always contact me and we'll sort them out. Yeah. It's, it's certainly online on Amazon and it's um, an e-book if anybody wants it. And the also, positively, as I say, my, palliative yeah, my story where, where, is in this. Yeah, where, yeah. where is that available? Uh, well, is it my, the palliative care book we can get from the All-Ireland Institute because okay. they are sort of a, a charity, so they can't exactly uh, sell it over, over the line. But it's available from the institutes, from if you look up the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care. OK. And my story is just one in that book. There are actually 20 different people have contributed. Now, some have contributed a poem or various other um pieces of of literature into the book there are 20 of us sort of that have written into the book and it was the whole idea of it came from the institute who decided that um they would like to mark the 10-year anniversary of voices for care now voices for care is the volunteer group and i belong to it with the all-ireland hospice of 
Palliative uh, Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care. You see, the, the actual institute itself is um, a partnership of organisations like universities and charities and hospices and healthcare organisations. And their whole purpose is to advance education, research and practice because they want to improve the palliative care experience for those that are experiencing palliative care and also for their families. So then 10 years ago, they set up this voluntary group called Voices for Care, for which I am a member, which was they set that up so that they could learn from people's personal experiences of palliative care. And that experience over the last 10 years has really informed and influenced the kind of care that is given because care is not just in a hospice. It can be at home. It can be in a nursing home. It can be in a hospital. And they have learned from our experiences how to adapt and improve what they are providing for us well done. and educating people. So that that's really well done. Well done. Sort of and, where the whole thing came and from. And I know there's going to be a number of launches of the book in, in various libraries uh, across the country, including this afternoon yes. in the Cork City Library from half two to half four. Uh, you're going along and you're going to read part of Brian's story? Yes, I'll be uh, ah. launching in uh, the City Library. It's on the ground floor at half past two today and anybody is welcome to come. And I will be reading from just a little extract from uh, my part of the book, uh, which is called Our Brian, my chapter in the book. And uh, it's, as I say, just trying to demystify the notion of palliative care because it's sort of sad to think that a lot of people don't go for palliative care until later. And mostly what people say afterwards is I wish we'd gone for palliative care too late, yeah. because yeah. palliative care is about the person you see as I say as against being about the illness yeah. and the disease so the focus is on the family and how they can help the family and as I say you can be at home we were at home with Brian we were never in a hospice um, we were at home and in and out to the hospital for treatments and palliative care nowadays is so totally different because it can carry on for years it hmm. isn't a matter of weeks or months before uh, somebody dies it can be years and you can go in and out of palliative care one of our members um, uh, John has had palliative care for an, about two years and then he felt well enough to get on without it and he's a couple of years now without palliative care with the option to go back and avail of it anytime that he wants so it's not as it was maybe at the beginning when there was very little and it was kind of associated with end of life it's a care that is available to anybody who has a life-limiting condition. Yeah, I think as you and say, it it's, it's about it's about living your, your yes. best life. I can see uh, so many texts coming in, uh, Marion, saying what an incredible woman you are and how your Brian would be so proud uh, of you. Listen, I wish you nothing but love and luck into the future and thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today and good luck with the launch today in the Cork City Library. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Very Thanks much a million. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, bye, bye. What a, what a lovely lady that is, Marion uh, O'Mahony. Just let me give you some of the texts coming in saying, oh my God, Patricia, what a brave, brave uh, woman. Just heartbreaking. As a mother of three boys myself, I just couldn't imagine the loss and the sadness. Sadness. She's so courageous to tell Brian's story. I have tears running down my face listening to Marion, particularly talking about Brian meeting up with his uh, friends. It brings back the memories of the happiness and the young lad 
remains in the house. I hope life brings her as much happiness as possible and her son Brian must be so proud of her uh, looking looking over her and uh, vice versa. It sounds like he was blessed to have had such an incredible uh, mother. And someone as Kaletinkin says is, oh my God, I'm in tears with that story. I didn't hear the start of it, but I've obviously got a full sense of it. I know we all expect to outlive our kids. None of us expect to bury uh, our children. And someone says, Marion is an amazingly strong uh, woman. Will you please wish her all the best? And one final one, Patricia, what an incredible mother who has endured every parent's worst nightmare. But yes, here she is trying to help other families who are facing into the same situation. I am here totally in awe of her. Okay, and that's just a sample of some of the people responding to uh, Marion O'Mahony. Her story, her her Brian's story is told in Positively uh, Palliative, a book that has been published by the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice, Hospice and Palliative Care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.